Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Thursday, January 14th, 2010. Production computer problems solved. Yeah, we, uh, here at the studio here at Pioneer Christian Radio, uh, we are a Macintosh house, and, uh, had the hard drive go out on our production computer yesterday at probably the most inopportune time. Kind of took some time to figure out where to go from, but, uh, Time Machine, that's a feature on, uh, Leopard on the Apple, saved my bacon once again. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, basically holding them accountable to what's written in the book, if you would. And uh, it's an important thing that we do because there's a whole lot of people out there just running around making stuff up. You know, kind of, you'll notice that recurring theme here. What, what does that mean? I believe in something called sola scriptura. That means that the Bible is our only sure and certain authority regarding God, regarding anything spiritual. And if there's anything that purports to be teaching things or inside information regarding God, the spiritual realm, angels, demons, anything, and the teaching contradicts the clear teaching of the Word of God, uh, well, the, whatever, it doesn't matter what the source is. It doesn't matter if it's Billy Graham uh, or Bill Clinton, the, the person be lying to you. It doesn't matter if it's me or even an angel from heaven. They, they, I, we'd be lying to you. And so God's word is true, and anyone who contradicts it is, uh, well, <clears throat> liar on one level or another. Now, it's, it's, there's there's some lies that, uh, let's just say, they're, if you hold to it, it's it's not really going to impact whether or not you're saved. And there's some lies. Well, that 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 just falls in the in the order of rank heresy that puts you outside of uh, outside of biblical Christianity. So you have to discern. You exercise some discernment when being discerning, if you would. It's it's all part of the the job here that we do here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. Uh, what we do is actually serious work. It's heavy lifting, and uh, there's no point in not enjoying ourselves uh, along the way because, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine going to a job that I hated every day 
And uh, and listen, some of you say, well, that's my job. No, 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 no. This is, that's where God has put you. And uh, there's joy to be had even in the most joyless of jobs. I mean, yeah, keep this in mind. Christ himself says that uh, to slaves, he says to slaves of all people, that uh, obey your masters as you would the Lord. You know, basically that it's not, and, and, and basically work not to please them or, or you know, uh, basically be a people pleaser, so to speak, but work in such a way as that your work is pleasing to God, please, pleasing to the Lord. And so even if you were, uh, if you find yourself in slavery, now, I know that that's highly unlikely nowadays. However, it could happen. You never know. You find yourself in the midst of slavery. You can still remember that you're serving God in that vocation. And I would even argue, now this is kind of a strange way of thinking. It kind of, kind of gets you into kind of the deeper, uh, how do I put it, implications of what it is that I'm saying. Those, those of you who are in prison listening to this uh, program, uh you have a vocation you believe it or not being a prisoner is a vocation and you're saying chris are you out of your mind no 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 listen to me um those of you in prison listening to fighting for the faith and i i, I thank the lord for you i still am amazed that that there are people who are in prison listening to fighting for the faith you have a vocation the reason why you were put into prison is because you owed a debt to society and so by being a prisoner, you are paying that debt to society. And so even within prison, you have laundry duty, you have other things that you can be doing, shops that you can be working in. And so even prisoners have a vocation and can serve the Lord in that vocation. And so, um, you know, when I talk about vocations coming from God and being from God, it I, I, I mean all the way down to those who who for all intents and purposes, we would look down upon and saying, oh, they that's the, the worst of the worst. Because, I mean, keep in mind, my grandmother, my grandmother-in-law, she believes that uh, everybody who is out of prison is a good person. That means everybody who's in person, prison is a bad person. Uh, she's got it wrong because everybody, whether you're in prison or not, is a bad person by nature. We're all sinners by nature in need of a Savior. And uh, so we need Christ and him crucified for our sins. And so you, as you listen to this program, if you're new to the program, one of the things you'll find is, is that uh, the acts that I constantly am grinding is the message of the good news of the gospel. Is it prevalent in, uh, in the preaching and teaching of, uh, in, in Christian church, churches? Are pastors, you know, who claim to be, you know, basically leading people to Jesus or giving them Jesus, are they actually doing so? That's one of the things we test for here. So, all right, today's program. I've got so much I want to talk to you about today. And tomorrow's Friday light. It's like, I missed a day of broadcasting and I'm... Anyway, today's program, uh, we're going to uh, be listening to uh, some... I don't know how to put this. Sound bites of what I would consider some of the latest Bible twists by Perry Noble. Now, oddly enough, I'm not the one who put these together. I didn't splice these videos down and put these segments on the internet New Spring Church did because they thought these were really salient points. And uh, so we're going to be looking at Perry Noble's latest Bible twists. And then today, I'm going to begin a series. And I don't know how long the series is going to be. But what I'm going to start doing is uh, deconstructing uh, Church Transition Inc.'s strategy and tactics for hijacking churches. 
you know, I know I picked terminology that really sounds negative, and that that's because I've already made a judgment regarding this stuff. After listening to all of it, breaking it down, studying it, comparing it to God's word, what you're going to hear, I, I do not have the liberty to uh, play the entire audio. However, I've broken it down into sound bites that we're going to be listening to from the Church Transitions Seminar training, where they're training pastors on how to go how to go from being traditional churches to being seeker driven churches or purpose driven churches and uh for many years church transition inc was the uh official arm uh, you know that would train pastors on how to transition from traditional to seeker driven purpose driven and so i i do believe they ran into the uh, one of their leaders if i remember right there was some kind of um I, there was some kind of moral failing. I can't remember what it is now. And one of their one of their leaders kind of fell from grace, and I think he went to prison for a little bit. And uh, he's back out, and I think he's working at a church down in Florida. But uh, don't quote me on that because my details the the details on that are really fuzzy to me. Uh, this is I'm speaking out loud from memory, so I could actually be kind of like way wrong on that. But it's just something about this. Is tucked away in the back of my head, and I have to pull that up. But uh, if it's not, then that doesn't really matter. The issue here is that what you're going to hear, we're going to break this down into the steps as to what they're tell, what they've been telling pastors as to you know the reasoning for and the biblical rationale, if you would, for becoming, uh, you know, for abandoning the uh, traditional church model that we've had for two thousand years in favor of these brand new methods uh, that really have their origin in, uh, well, let's kind of put it in a timeline here. You see the very first innovators, kind of uh, in C. Peter Wagner, as well as Robert Schuller, uh, experimenting with church growth methodologies. The problem is, is that they don't really, these church growth seeker-driven ideas don't take off until the secret ingredient is added. And, uh, you know, listen, fried chicken is fried chicken, but until you've had the Colonel's Secret Recipe, you ain't had Kentucky Fried Chicken. Same thing here. Uh, The the, the missing ingredient for all of this thing, for for the seeker-driven movement to just rocket into the stratosphere, uh, was when they combined seeker-driven method, early seeker-driven methodologies with the leadership and management and innovation um, theories of Peter Drucker. Okay. I'm kind of letting you in on, you know, where things are and who were the people who did that? Well, Rick Warren himself, uh, claims, you know, it's actually, he's been very verbal about the fact that he was a very close friend and disciple of Peter Drucker. So one of the innovators, if you would, of uh, of taking uh, the early seeker-driven methodologies and fusing them with the secret ingredient, that is uh, Peter Drucker's uh, management ideas, that would be Bill Hybels, Bob Buford from Leadership Network. Uh, I would even say Bill Hybels was in on on you know and on that level of the innovation. So what happens is is that once that happens, this whole thing just rockets into the stratosphere, and you begin you really see it taking off in the '90s. And uh, and really, you know, to the point where by the time it comes on the scene of everyone's radar, which is uh, the late 90s or, or early 2000s, I mean, the thing is already well established and trained a gazillion 
uh, pastors on how to do this. But, uh, you know, but what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to go back in time a few years. We're going to go back in time a few years and listen to the 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 reasoning for and and the tactics used to train somebody on how to hijack a church. That's exactly how I put it. So we're, uh, that's today's going to be part one of that. And then I tweeted this out earlier today, and I'm standing by my assessment. I'm going to be reviewing a sermon by Stephen Furtick from his current uh, New Through 30 sermon series. And I've got to tell you, I really like the sermon. I really like it. That being said, that does not mean that I can just blanketly say that everything he says is spot on. There's some things in there that I would strongly disagree with. But for the most part, there there is this is a good sermon. And so um, in hour number two of uh, Fighting for the Faith, we're going to be listening to a Stephen Furtick sermon to which I, I'm able to say amen to much of. Now, I'll point out the things along the way where his thinking and his presuppositions are wrong. It's not like, he, you know, I can I can now all of a sudden say that Stephen Furtick is, you know, somebody I can uh, say without any reservations is a good Bible teacher. I will say this, though, about Furtick. I have been listening to this guy's sermons for the better part of three years now, and he, the, the best way, the best way I can describe Furtick is that he's a mixed bag, just like all of us. He's a sinner, just like me, just like you. And uh, the one thing I got, I have to give him credit for, is that from an outside observer looking in, he is wrestling with his sin in his life and wrestling with his own demons. And there are times when uh when you know his sin and his demons get the best of him and there's other times when it you can see the, the the holy spirit bearing fruit in his life and overall though i have to say he's on a different trajectory than uh perry noble and um i i don't know if these guys really realize that or not but i do think that as the years progress we're there's a high likelihood we're going to see some kind of of a of a falling out or Furtick distancing himself from Noble. The reason why is because there's things going on in Furtick's life that we have to attribute to God, that we have to attribute to God. And I'm just telling you, I mean, even the way he handles himself in the sermon is, is, is like way different than just a few years ago. And so, um, I like what's going on with this guy. I like the trajectory he's on. I don't agree with everything, but there's some common ground here that I can that that I can work with and we can work with so much so that uh, I I I'm going to continue to monitor this monitor the situation with prayerful hope that Christ continues to mold and shape this man because uh, he he's so talented. I mean, he is one of the most gifted and engaging communicators I have ever watched or listened to i mean th- th- this guy has got more raw talent uh, in his pinky than most uh, preachers have in their whole body that being said it, it it's it's really interesting to watch how this is all shaking out in his life and so we'll we'll see how this goes but uh, again good sermon review today by none other i mean uh, than stephen furtigan i know some of you are thinking is this april fool's day no it's not it really, truly isn't, and I'm excited to share this 
this uh, sermon with you from Stephen Furtick. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, dive into our program proper. We've got a lot of ground to uh, cover today. And so our first segment is going to be on Perry Noble's latest Bible twist. And I've got some music for this type of segment. Here we go. Really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. And it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, as long as I say it with a flower. First I rattle off a ready stock of gibberish and puppycock and fix you with my best hypnotic stare. With my moans and groans and soporific tones, they have cheered me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I say, what I say, I sell it when I tell it with a seam, a salabim, the magician's nursery rhyme. Abra! Kadabra! You succumb to it every time. Wave a stick, and each trick will mystify and disarm. All right, look. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be using that music more often, by the way, because uh, it, it just seems to uh, explain certain things. And I think it's to use the French. It's apropos. Anyway, um, I've got two segments I want to play from Perry Noble from his most recent sermon that he uh, was so proud to put these uh, sound bites up on uh, YouTube. And the first one is he, basically here's the deal. He's engaging in Bible twisting, and I want you to pay real close attention because if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. But uh, don't worry, I'll point it out. Uh, So this uh, first segment is uh, Perry Noble talking about uh, the Apostle Peter and his confession of Christ. And uh, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But pay real close attention to the fact that uh, Perry Noble is focusing in on the fact that Peter's name is Peter Bar Jonah or Peter son of Jonah. Listen carefully to what Furtick says that supposedly means. And the more I thought about that and the more I examined the scriptures, I came to the conclusion as long as Jesus Christ keeps changing lives, we will never be the one hit wonder church. Listen, we had people. Oh, did I mention fail to mention that at the beginning of the soundbite, um, the <laughs> Perry Noble never seems to uh, ceases to amaze in his ability to preach about himself and his church and his vision and him and them. <sighs> Listen carefully. You're going to be hearing a line ripped off from Rick Warren, but let, let, let we continue. People tell us we were a fad when we were 500. We had people saying that we weren't going to grow anymore when we reached 1,000. We had people talking about us when we were 2,000. We had people talking about us when we were at 5,000. We had people saying it wasn't going to work anymore when it reached 7,000. We had people saying it wasn't going to happen anymore when it reached 10,000. Over Christmas, we had over 14,000 show up, and as long as Jesus 
Jesus keeps changing lives outside these walls. There are six billion people on the planet. I say we've got work to do. Uh, notice uh, reference to what I call the gospel of the changed life. Um, the gospel is not your changed life. I've, I've mentioned this and talked about it many times on this program. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for your sins. The preaching and the proclamation of the gospel is what God uses to create repentance and the forgiveness, basically repentance and faith in you. Okay. And, uh, and through the preaching of the gospel, he transforms you from being, uh, a rebel into being a Christian, from being, uh, from having a heart of stone, he gives you a heart of flesh. It's through the preaching of the gospel that he does that. So that's the, the gospel that produces fruit in your life. And that life and, and that, that fruit, we basically, we refer to that as the Christian doctrine of sanctification. And it's through God's word and sacraments and, and the, you know, and the preaching of the gospel that God transforms us and molds us into his image. And unfortunately, this side of heaven, uh, that transformation, that changed life, uh, really, really, really weak, feeble, and uh, not all that great. Um, you know, in fact, uh, if you ever look at the fine print on a uh, on an infomercial, the uh, the fine print says results may vary. Same thing with Christianity, and uh, results may vary. Unfortunately, this is a form of basically selling Christianity uh, based upon the fruit. So to speak, it's it's the whiffum. What's in it for me? Well, you get a changed life. <gasps> really? <clears throat> we continue. Jesus changes people, and I I confess I'm an addict. I'm addicted to changed lives. Now you should have footnoted that. Uh, he that's a complete ripoff from Rick Warren. Just want to let you know that Rick Warren is the one who I has I've heard him say this many times. He's Addicted to change lives. I, I'm glad that uh, Perry shares that addiction, apparently. But, uh, of course, he's not going to give Rick Warren credit. I'm addicted. Seeing people meet Jesus and get changed has never gotten old to me. This is where we see this in the scriptures. Look at this. This is so cool. Jesus replied, blessed are you. Now, I saw this the other day, and it blew my mind. Now, listen carefully. This is what we, the, the Bible, by the way, this is what we refer to as eisegesis. Now, Eisegesis isn't like Jesus up in the North Pole. That's not what eisegesis is. It's E-I-S-E-G-I. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. It's eisegesis. It means reading something into the text. Now, watch carefully. He's going to be eisegeting, which is a form of scripture twisting. And this is not good. No bueno. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, son of Jonah. Son of Jonah, son of Jonah. Who was Jonah? Who was Jonah? Remember, remember the, you grew up in church, remember Jonah? The guy in the Old Testament? That's not that Jonah, it's a long time between these two. But Simon's father was named Jonah. He was named after a prophet in the Old Testament that ran from God. He rebelled from God. Eventually he repented and went to Nineveh and preached. <clears throat> But then in chapter 4, we see that Jonah still didn't have a really, really, really great attitude about the whole thing. So Jonah was kind of rebellious. Jonah's tendency is the same tendency of all of us, is to rebel. 
So I find it fascinating that Jesus mentioned the name of Simon's father because his father was named Jonah. Okay, now I'm going to point something out. This is actually a very serious form of scripture twisting. And those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, I have put up a document in the Cove that talks about uh, exegetical fallacies and, and word fallacies in particular. And uh, I would I would ask you all to reference this document, those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove. And what I'm going to do, um, I'm announcing this now. Um, uh, over the uh, holiday, I came to be the proud owner of something called a Udo. <laughs> Thinking, what? Uh, you, well, what's a Udo? If you're not familiar with a Udo, basically it's an at-home screen printing system. Okay, which is going to allow me to make my own T-shirts and you know, kind of short run type of stuff uh, along those lines. So here's the deal: the first member of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew who can correctly identify which of the exegetical fallacies or the word study fallacies that Perry Noble is engaging in here, and the document is right there in the in the cove. Uh, and here, and what you got to do is you have to leave a comment, on, you know, under that particular thing, uh, uh, you know, under that post in the cove where that document is, and and I need you to art, not just tell me what it is. I want you to make your case for why it is. So if you correctly get it right, but you don't give me an explanation, no points. If you are the first listener to correctly identify which word fallacy. Uh, Perry Noble is engaging in here, then I will make you a fighting for the faith, oh, actually a pirate Christian radio t-shirt and send it to you. Okay. So, and it, it it's a really nice t-shirt. Uh, it has a little logo design that goes over where the pocket is, but it doesn't have a pocket, but it, it has a pocket design that has the fighting uh, pirate Christian radio flag. And on the back, it says, repent and believe uh, it says, repent and believe. And so, uh, you know, and it's got a big, a huge uh, pirate Christian radio flag on the back of it. So I might send you a, uh, I might post a picture of what the T-shirt looks like. And it's black, by the way, it's black. So here's the deal. First listener who's a member of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove who can tell me it, which word fallacy it is and document why that's what this word fallacy is gets a pirate Christian radio t-shirt that I will make for them. So using my, you do, there you go. <laughs> but no, let's listen carefully. Listen carefully. In fact, let me back this up just a little bit so that you can get a hint as to what the fallacy is. I'm going to back it up just a little bit where he talks about Simon bar Jonah. Here we go. He was named after a prophet in the old Testament that ran from God. He rebelled from God. Eventually he repented and went to Nineveh and preached. But then in chapter 4, we see that Jonah still didn't have a really, really, really great attitude about the whole thing. So Jonah was kind of rebellious. Jonah's tendency is the same tendency of all of us, is to rebel. So I find it fascinating that Jesus mentioned the name of Simon's father because his father was named Jonah. In other words, you are the son, Peter, of a rebel. You are the son of somebody that ran from God. You are the son of somebody that was named from someone who had the tendency to run from and rebel against God. Peter. Now notice the eisegesis. Notice. Nowhere in the text does it say anything there about the fact that Jesus was telling 
Peter that he's the son of a rebel. I know who you are. I created you and I've made you. I've seen every stupid thing that you've ever done. But then he comes back and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. I think that's Hades. Will not overcome it. In other words, he said, Peter, you have rebellious tendencies. Notice the text does not say, Peter, you have rebellious tendencies. Peter, you are jacked up. No, Jesus was not saying to Peter, Peter, you are jacked up. He's eisegeting, using a very specific fallacy, by the way. When I found you, you were fishing. You were not a religious professional. But you know what, Peter? You're the you're the one that. Okay, notice the swipe. You were not a when I found you. You were not a religious professional. Okay, this is so important. Those swipes are intentional on Perry Noble's part. He is constantly tearing down and attacking those who've been to seminary, which is, doesn't make any sense because, believe it or not, Stephen Furtick has an MDiv from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, tearing down religious professionals and the whole nine yards. This is part of the culture of anger and attack that Perry Noble is creating there in Anderson, South Carolina, and those who are following him and following his footsteps in the church, pastors who want to be like this guy. Unacceptable. But notice he's completely twisting the passage and eisegeting. He's reading something into it. Proclaimed me as the Christ. And so because of that, Peter, I'm going to change your name. It's not Simon anymore. It's Peter, which literally means Petros or stone. And because you made this statement, I'm going to take you and use you to be a part of building something that is literally going to advance all over the world and people's lives are going to be changed because I'm going to create a church that has a... Okay, notice the uh, the false doc, the false gospel of life change there. And he's saying all, all of these things, all of these things about, uh, you know, about the text that are not in there. Now... Another listener, okay, not the same one. If there is another listener who wants to, uh, for me to make them a t-shirt, okay, on, you know, in the Pirate Christian Cove today, I also put up a document that, that is a summary of the 20 ways in which the cults twist the scripture. That would be the cults, as in C-U-L-T-S, not the cults like in the Indianapolis cults, but cults like Mormons and things like that. I'm going to give away another Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt. I'm going to make it on my Udo. So it's going to be handmade by Chris Roseborough. If you can tell me which of the 20, and there may be more than one, so you, you, you better come up with a good, a good complete answer. Which of the 20, uh, different, you know, uh, which way in particular is Perry Noble twisting uh, the scripture, the way cults do, cult leaders, cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so you know, if you, I, I will give you, I will make and send you a fighting a pirate Christian radio T-shirt that I make. If you can identify which of the which of the twenty different ways uh, the cults twist the scripture here that Perry Noble's doing, 
and you have to make your argument. You have to make your case. It's I believe it's this because he said this, this, then this. The uh, you know the, the this way of twisting scripture you know is when they do that. And here's how we did it. I need so this is a homework assignment that for credit, if you would, you get. I will make and send you a T-shirt. Let's continue. Message called the gospel that is going to penetrate hearts and lives of people of people of of everyone on the planet. He changed Peter. He changed him. Peter was an average, ordinary, everyday person who met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, God completely changed. And we can read it in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And in First and Second Peter, Peter got his world rocked. Not because he was a religious professional. Not because... Notice the swipe against religious professionals again. Because he had been to some sort of school. But because... Uh, notice, it, not because he'd been to some sort of school, yet... Peter was one of the disciples. He went to the best seminary that anybody could ever possibly go to three years studying under Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. Because he met Jesus and let Jesus change his life. There are people here today, you've been changed by Jesus. And here's the good news. As we continue to walk with Jesus, he keeps changing us. It's not, I showed up to church, I prayed a prayer, I'm not going to hell. As you and I continue to walk with Jesus, Jesus will continue to bring change after change. It's called sanctification. Yes, I agree with him here. But however, I don't agree with the fact that he's twisting God's word. After change in our lives. So as long as we're continuing to preach the gospel, as long as we're continuing to teach the scriptures, I really do believe. With all well, see, that's the problem. You can't teach the scriptures by twisting the scriptures. You're not correctly teaching the scriptures when you're engaging in exegetical fallacies and, and the same kind of scripture twisting techniques that the cults use. There you have it. All right. You know what? We're going to take our first break. I'm going to save the second one for Monday. We'll call that one the Snuggie one. But what I'm going to do, for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, I'm going to put up a post there in the Cove with the video by itself without me talking and uh, and the challenge that's out there so that uh, you can leave your comments. And, again, first person to correctly identify uh, which exegetical fallacy he's engaging in and why will get I will make them a T-shirt and uh, the first person to uh, show me which of the scripture twisting techniques of the cults he's using and why I will also make them a pirate Christian radio T-shirt on my you do and send them and send them to you. So uh, there you have it. Now, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter again. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Yeah, I, I know the name doesn't sound real, but let me assure you it is. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world and also has a lowest airfare guarantee for the winter. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that is good through January 25th that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio.
morning, truth spoken bluntly daily here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial support in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. Right now, in the month of January, we have an anonymous supporter who is willing, well, actually is trying to motivate you to join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew because our our future really kind of depends on this, kind of more than kind of. But uh, anyway, he's going to take your January uh, dues for the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, and he's going to triple it. That's right. Take your your $6.95 and multiply it times three. So everybody who's a brand-new uh, joiner, subscriber to the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew in the month of January – you get it's triple rewards points to us that helps ensure our longevity here as a program. So the way you uh, do this is visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on join our crew, and uh, when you do, pay close attention because the final screen is going to be a button at the bottom that says click here to access the Fighting for the Faith uh, Pirate Christian Radio Cove. That's our growing treasure trove of theological resources, uh, Christ-centered apologetics and good theology and doctrine designed to help you grow deeper in your understanding of God's Word. And we got a lot of stuff there that's not recent. I mean, these are ancient treasures here because we pirates, we know where the good stuff is. You know, listen, is good is new wine the best or is the old wine the better? I'm telling you, we know the stuff that has survived, that is based, not survived, but has been time tested and become classics. And uh, we have access to a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, this is, I mean, just having access to the cove is worth the six ninety five a month. So again, six ninety five a month. Fightingforthefaith.com. Click on join our crew. Of course, if you'd like to donate above and beyond, you can do so by clicking on the uh, donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box five zero eight, Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. Okay, this next segment, I'm going to run a little bit long, and I should <laughs> warn. I do that every now and then. I think this is the first time I've warned you all, but I think you all kind of get it. Roseboro kind of keeps going on. But uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to start a series, and uh, the series is going to be uh, what basically I'm called Deconstructing Church Transition, Inc.'s Strategy and Tactics for Hijacking Churches. That's what I've named it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically walk you through the process that they use to hijack a church, and we're going to begin today by listening to sound bites, relevant sound bites. Uh, just a few of them from the introduction to this whole church transition seminar. And the voice that you're going to hear is of a gentleman by the name of Dan Sutherland. And uh, I don't know if he's still with Church Transitions, Inc. or not, but uh, you know, we're, we're going to go backwards in time, and, I'm, and we're going to compare what he's saying in the name of God to the Word of God because this is really, really important because uh, one of the things I've learned is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions and some of the worst heresies and methodologies have been introduced through the church by playing on the heartstrings of those who really have a heart for reaching the lost with the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we're seeing in uh, the in uh, in the seeker driven methodologies is the the pastors who are going for this really do have a passion for reaching the lost really do want to grow their church because they think that that indicates uh that they they are reaching the lost and so you know you cannot fault them for their intentions 
But the thinking behind this is really, really, not, it's not good. It's not, it's not even correctly biblical. And so we're going to walk our way through this stuff. Now, first soundbite here is uh, Dan Sutherland assuring people that he's going to teach them a process and that the process is biblical and practical. Here is Dan Sutherland from Church Transitions, Inc. I want us to talk about a process for leading change. A process. And let me say this clearly. I do not believe you need to make the same changes Flamingo Road has made. Okay, now Flamingo Road is the church that he was at at this time and that he helped transition into this model. Now, I want you to hear this again because I'm going to be referring to this little segment many times throughout this series that we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith. Listen carefully. And let me say this clearly. I do not believe you need to make the same changes Flamingo Road has made. Okay, now, the reason why I played that again, and I'm going to refer back to it constantly, is because he's engaging in something called doublespeak. What he just said there is not true. And I'll explain as we go. We continue. Did, did you hear that? The changes that your church needs to make will not be the same changes Flamingo Road has made. In fact, we don't even lift Flamingo Road up as a model of, of which changes to make. We do lift Flamingo Road up as a model of how to implement change. Because a process has been developed here that is both biblical and practical. Okay, now, that little thing, this is at the very introduction of the seminar. And there are two very blatant lies in there. Okay? One, that he doesn't, you know, he's not saying that you have to make the same changes, and I'll prove it later, you'll see. Two, that this is biblical. That's the second lie. Now, it may be practical, but it's not biblical. We continue. Now, soundbite number two here, let me just kind of walk you through this one. Um, he's going to be talking about the fact that he thinks that he sees God doing a new thing in the world today, and I want you to listen carefully, very carefully, to what he says that are, quote, movements of God. Here we go. You see, I think God's doing a new thing in the world today. And there's no place for this in your notes, but maybe on that blank back page right there, would you write this in? It's not on the screen. It's just in my heart. Let me just share it with you. There are four major movements of God in the world today. Four major movements of God in the world. Okay, now I'm going to stop right there. There's four major movements of God in the world today. What on earth is he talking about? And how do you know that there's, quote, four major movements of God in the world? Listen carefully. And I want to give these to you. Uh, the first movement is the cell church movement. Now, I did not say sell the church. I said the cell church movement, C-E-L-L. -L. Now, you, you know. Cell church movement is small groups. Okay, we've been talking about that extensively here, and we will continue to to talk about it because even now I keep getting emails from people who've had these really interesting stories occur to them in like the typical small group. I've been doing research on the small group thing now for the better part of three years, but I, I you know, so I do not believe the small group thing is a movement of God. I think it is a rebellion against God's clear word as to who's qualified to teach publicly in the church. That's a different story, but let's continue. 
this movement, but let me just talk about it for two minutes. The cell church movement is based on this principle. For a church to grow large, it must grow small. Okay, listen to that. Why does my church have to grow large? I question the premise. So he's basically saying the cell church movement is a movement of God, and it's built upon the principle that in order for a church to grow large, it has to grow small. That's the paradox. That's the principle. For a church to grow large, it must grow small. Okay, question. Where in the Bible does it teach this? Where in the scriptures does it clearly say that in order for a church to grow large, it must grow small? He says this is a movement of God. He says it's based upon a principle. But it's not a biblical principle. We continue. One of the struggles for the American church that keeps us from seeing explosive growth is we are single-cell churches. Okay, now notice, he's a, <laughs> what's preventing us from seeing explosive growth, because obviously explosive growth means that God's blessing you. Okay, that's the assumption. All growth is from God. Is, the th- is that we have a single-cell approach. What is that single-cell approach? A pastor-shepherd who teaches and feeds God's flock and protects against false doctrine. Let's continue. We have one cell. We have one church, if you will. It has one pastor. It has one authority structure. It has one direction. It has one set of relationships. And what happens is this contributes to the American church staying small. The average church in America today averages about 100 in attendance. Notice how that's a bad thing. That's the subcurrent of what he's saying. It's, it, that's a bad thing. Can I tell you why? That's pretty much the maximum number of people that one person can take care of. And this is actually, this is actually true. About 150 is the max that one person can take care of effectively. 150, that's it. One pastor. We use a chaplain model of pastoring. I'll be there when you're in the hospital. I'll be there to hold your hand. I'll be there for crisis counseling. I'll know your name. I'll go out to eat with you. I'll be available. You can have my phone number and call me at home. I will be your personal pastor. There's nothing wrong with that model except. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that model except. Well, there is. That it limits how many people you can reach for Christ and take care of. Wrong. It doesn't limit how many people you can reach for Christ. It does limit how many people you can shepherd. Notice how he put the two together. How many, it, it, it limits how many people you can reach for Christ. And how, it, <laughs> No, it does limit how many people you can effectively shepherd as a solo pastor and still dispense the duties laid out in the book of Timothy and Titus as to the responsibilities that that fall onto the teaching office in the church. But he said it limits how many people you can reach for Christ. That is slippery, sneaky stuff there, and it's not true.
you can reach many people for Christ. You may not be able to effectively shepherd them and disciple them in the faith if you if you grow beyond 150 people. You might have to hire another pastor to help you out with the task. Once you get past 100 to 150, but it doesn't limit how many people you can reach for Christ. Notice he equated evangelism with discipleship. The two are different. Okay. All right. Let's continue with his uh, talking about cell groups. Here we go. The cell church movement is sweeping the globe today. There are two common characteristics of the 50 largest churches in the world. Two. Okay. Notice two common characteristics of the 50 largest churches in the world. What's the assumption? All growth is good growth. Two common characteristics. Can I give them to you? Number one, they are all cell churches. Hello. If the 50 largest businesses in the world were all using the same software to run their business, do you know what every other business would do? Switch to that software. Notice the equation of the church to a business. See, it's, it, it, they're all growing, so that has to be good. All growth equals good growth. That is not true. Well, the software of the 50 largest churches in the world today is called Cell Church. Okay, so there we go. That's the next one. Okay, now he's going to make another claim about a movement of God. Here we go. Here's the next movement of God. Movement. Second movement, contemporary worship movement. The contemporary worship movement. Now, this movement is sweeping the globe. And that's supposedly a movement of God. I would challenge it based upon this. So much of the contemporary music that we're getting, the lyrics coming from these so-called contemporary songs are complete pablum. They're not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. They're vaguely esoterically uh, erotic towards Jesus and kind of have an airy fairy spirituality to them. Few, if any, actually have any solid biblical meat in them at all. Okay, so I question whether or not that's a movement of God. How do you know the cell church movement is a movement of God? Oh, because it's growing. How do you know contemporary music is a movement of God? Because, it, well, it's sweeping the world. That means it's a, it's a movement of God. Does it? Is uh, Are we not going to consult our Bibles on this? We're just going to, because it's catching on like wildfire, that it has to be a movement of God? You do realize the whole book, The Prayer of Jabez, was complete complete rank heresy and Bible twisting. Yet it swept through the church like a wildfire. Everybody had prayer of Jabez Jesus junk. They had prayer of Jabez Bible covers, prayer of Jabez uh, prayer shawls. Everybody was doing it. And I would say it was not a movement of God at all. It was basically just a real popular fad that fell on the church as a result of slick marketing. How about uh, the, the shack? I mean, that, that book is sold like wildfire, but it's not biblical. It contradicts the clear teachings of the word of God. I wouldn't say the shack is a movement of God. Let's continue. Okay. Now listen carefully to this next one. This is critical. Listen carefully. Around the world today, God is pouring himself out on churches that value lost people. Okay. He's basically saying... Listen, you adopt these things. It doesn't even matter what your theology is. 
God is, if you have, if you value lost people, God's going to pour himself out on you and your church. Let me back this up. I want you to hear this whole thing in context. Listen carefully to what he's going to say. Around the world today, God is pouring himself out on churches that value lost people. Some of them don't even have good theology. Some of them are in left field in their depth. But when they're focusing on reaching lost people, God is honoring it by them reaching lost folk. Okay. So it doesn't even matter what your theology is. You can be involved in rank liberal heresy. If you have a heart for the lost people, God's going to pour himself out on your church, and he's going to let you succeed by having a big church. Does that make any sense at all? No, it is actually clearly contradicted by the word of God. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be anathema. Liberals do not preach the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach a social gospel based upon liberal pietism. They deny the word of God as being authoritative. They're engaged in rank heretical practices like ordaining homosexuals. So don't tell me that somebody who's engaging in bad theology, who believes in left field bad theology, that God's pouring himself out on them because they, quote, have a heart for the lost. Notice that the real foundational thinking here is way way off. All growth is good growth. And we know that God's blessing your church, even if you're heretics, because you have a heart for the lost and, and your church is growing that. Listen again. Around the world today, God is pouring himself out on churches that value lost people. Some of them don't even have good theology. Some of them are in left field in their depth. But when they're focusing on reaching lost people, God is honoring it by them reaching lost folk. So there you go. doesn't matter what your theology is. God's going to pour himself out on your church, even if you're rank heretics, if you have a heart for the lost and reaching them. Yeah. Anyone have a problem with this? All right. Next interesting quote. Here we go. So how do we recover that, that seeker movement? At Flamingo, we used a phrase, I want to teach it to you, and feel free to teach it to your folks. Okay, this is so important because this is really, really 180 degrees wrong and contradicted by the word of God. And I will back it up. I want you to hear what he has to say. So how do we recover that, that seeker movement? At Flamingo, we used a phrase, I want to teach it to you, and feel free to teach it to your folks. Repeat this with me. Listen to it once. Church is so not about me. Would you say that? Church is so not about me. Now say it again. Church is so not about me. Now I want you to turn to somebody sitting near you, poke them, and say, church is so not about you. Tell them. Now, once you raise that as a value in the church, you've done a phenomenal thing. You see, we believe at Flamingo Road that the people that God is most interested in on Sunday morning are the ones that are driving up and down this street and don't even know we're here. It's not about me and it's not about you. So when somebody comes to me and says, Dan, I really don't like the music. 
I say to them, I need to apologize to you. I somehow have given you the impression that church is for you. And I don't know what I have done to give you that impression. But but I really want you to hear it's not. And, and I know the music's a stretch for you. It's a stretch for me. But we're not here for the already convinced. We're here for the yet-to-know-Christ crowd. And, and, and we've got a fish with the bait that they understand. So I hope that you can buy in to purpose over preference. Do you hear that phrase? Choose purpose over preference. Now, for a hundred years, the American church has said, no, it's all about us, all about us. No, it's not. It's really not about what I prefer, what I'm comfortable with, or what I want. And once a church crosses that barrier, God can do amazing things in the church. Okay, now we're gonna, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take this thing apart, but we have to do some biblical work first. All right? And in order to do that, I need you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I need to show something to you, okay? Talking about spiritual gifts. Now, we've all heard about spiritual gifts, and many of you are very familiar with them. You've taken inventories or tests that tell you what your spiritual gifts are. I don't put a lot of stock in those tests, per se. The reason why is because I think this is a little bit more organic than that. But uh, we read, and I want you to listen very carefully about what spiritual gifts are for. Now, we just heard him say, the church is not about you. I'm sorry, I made you think that the church is about you. This is a foundational error in seeker-driven, purpose-driven methodology. And it's actually an error that is causing rank, rank problems in the body of Christ. Okay, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now regarding spiritual gifts. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, however, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except for by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay. Now, the common good of who is the question. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The question that is on the table right now, I'm going to answer this from the Scriptures, is are these God-given spiritual gifts for the common good of the world or the common good of the body of Christ? I'm going to answer this from the, from the text. So, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of, of tongues, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, did you catch all this here? So all of these, the picture that's being painted is that all of us are given, all Christians are given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit for the common good, and we're likened as a body. Okay? We're likened as a body, as a unit that works together with our different gifts for the common good of the body. Continue. The body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Okay. If an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Okay. The whole body... Uh, if the whole body were an eye, there would be uh, there would be uh, no sense of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, there would be no sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, notice here in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all given different gifts for the common good of the body of Christ, okay? Now, if you go to chapter 14, it gets even a little bit more explicit. And there's a passage I wanted to point out to you there. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue uh, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So the purpose of that spiritual gift is for the building up of the church. I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that he may, so that the church may be built up. The text is clear. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to be exercised in the church for the building up of the church. When the church gathers to hear God's word, to take communion, it's for the building up of the church. Now, this is exactly why in the book of Acts, you don't have the church changing their service to make it seeker-driven for the Romans. Okay? Instead, the church sent missionaries out into the world to proclaim the gospel and to go fishing. But they didn't fish using deception Using lures, they fished with nets. The proclamation of the gospel is a net. Okay? These guys are basically 
browbeating people and telling them that they're selfish because they're doing church for themselves. The purpose of the church is to gather and to hear God's word and to build up the body of Christ. When the church gathers, it is for the church. It's the building up of the body of Christ. If it weren't, then these spiritual gifts that God gave us through the Holy Spirit wouldn't make any sense at all. This is a fundamental flaw. And I would even go so far as to say a direct contradiction of God's word to the point that borders on heresy. To say that the church, when it meets, is wrong, when it meets because it's meeting for itself. Listen again. So how do we recover that, that seeker movement? At Flamingo, we used a phrase, I want to teach it to you, and feel free to teach it to your folks. Repeat this with me. Listen to it once. Church is so not about me. Would you say that? Church is so not about me. Now, so- now in light of what we just read in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, no, when we get together, the purpose of church is to feed on God's word and the building up of the body of Christ. When the church gathers, it is for the building up of the body. Say it again. Church is so not about me. Now, I want you to turn to somebody sitting near you, poke them and say, church is so not about you. Tell them. Now, once you raise that as a value in the church, you've done a phenomenal thing. No, you haven't. If you say that is a value in your church, you're contradicting the clear teaching of the word of God. You see, we believe at Flamingo Road that the people that God is most interested in on Sunday morning are the ones that are driving up and down this street and don't even know we're here. Now, listen, that's false piety, and I want to point something out to you. Listen to, excuse me, listen to what he said. The people that God is most interested in? You see, we believe at Flamingo Road that the people that God is most interested in on Sunday morning are the ones that are driving up and down this street and don't even know we're here. Really, I thought that God loves them so much that he died for their sins, too. It's not that God cares for them the most. He cares for us all and loves us all. I nowhere see in the scriptures that it says that God cares more for the lost than he does for his own adopted children who trust in him and have received the forgiveness of sins and have faith in him and faith in Christ. You see how this is all 180 degrees backwards? It's not about me, and it's not about you. So when- see, it sounds so humble. It sounds so pious, and it's absolutely wrong. When somebody comes to me and says, Dan, I really don't like the music, I say to them, I need to apologize to you. I somehow have given you the impression that church is for you. The Bible does that. And I don't know what I have done to give you that impression. But but I really want you to hear it's not. And, and I know the music's a stretch for you. It's a stretch for me. But when- Doesn't it sound like personal sacrifice on his part? But it's contrary to the clear teaching of the Word of God. We're not here for the already convinced. We're here for the yet-to-know-Christ crowd. You can't do church for non-believers because they're not part of the body of Christ. They're not part of the church. By definition, you can't do church for them. And, and, and we've got to fish with the bait 
that they understand. No, you need to cast the net of the gospel. Nowhere in the scriptures are we taught to use bait fishing. We're called to proclaim Christ and him crucified. That's net fishing, different paradigm altogether. So I hope that you can buy in to purpose over preference. Do you hear Did you hear that? Well, see, listen, that's just your preference. But we have we are a purpose-driven church, and that whole doing church for you, that's a preference. No, that's what God instructs us to do, what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. This isn't a matter of personal preference. And see, that's how they that this is all part of their rhetoric. That all of these methods, it's just a matter of preference. No, it's not. It's about following what God's word says. You can't do church for the unchurched. There's no such thing. Hear that phrase? Choose purpose over preference. Well, according to Scripture, the purpose of church is the building up of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. We practice our gifts in church to build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose laid out in Scripture. This purpose that you guys have imposed contradicts the purpose laid out in Scripture. Now, for a hundred years, the American church has said, no, it's all about us, all about us. Notice how for a hundred years, the church has been selfish, selfish, selfish. No, for the past two millennia, the church has been doing what it's supposed to do, having shepherds who feed God's sheep and people practicing their gifts as God has given them for the building up of the church. There's a 2,000-year unbroken history of this, and the Johnny-come-lately seeker-driven guys, they are tooling, they are tooling, retooling things that should not be retooled. They're rethinking things that have no business being rethunk because their rethinking is contradicting the Word of God. No, it's not. It's really not about what I prefer, what I'm comfortable with, or what I want. Yeah, notice it's about personal preference and comfort. Oh, you're just, yeah, huh? No, this is about obeying God's word. And once a church crosses that barrier, God can do amazing things in the church. Yeah, see, once you make your church for non-believers, in other words, fulfill the prophecy in, in by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, scratch itching ears. Oh, you'll build a big church, and they'll think that it's from God, but it's not because it's contradicting what God's Word teaches. Okay, next soundbite's really, really short. Um, listen to this. There's a seeker movement going on in the world. Man, when you get in it, God blesses. So there's a seeker movement going on in the world. That's, the, that's another movement, seeker movement, and when you get in it, God's blessing it. Okay. Now, remember at the beginning, he said, I'm not going to tell you the changes that you need to make in your church that may be different than whatever. Notice he's making a case for you have to go with small groups, you have to have contemporary music, and you have to get into a seeker mode. Because those are the things that God's blessing. Listen again. Listen more. Here's the next one. The fourth movement of God in the world today, this is interesting to me, is the one that Billy Graham says is the biggest movement of God in the world today. At Amsterdam 2000, he proclaimed that this movement is the biggest movement of God in the world today. It is the purpose-driven church movement. Okay, so another movement of God. 
The big movement of God is the purpose-driven church move. It's see, these are the big movements, and when you get join into them, God's going to bless you with with explosive growth. Now, here's the next one. If there's a movement of God in the world today called Cell Church, and if there's another river of what God is doing in the world called contemporary worship, and if there's a third river of what God is doing called the Seeker Movement. And a fourth river of what God is doing called purpose-driven. Here's the question. Where do we want to live? Where they come together. we got to get in on it. Now, what is this conference about? It's about getting in on what God is doing. So there's the, him selling. In the introduction, this is about getting in on what God is doing. And it's all just him saying that this is what God is doing. Yet... I have brought up very valid biblical concerns that question whether or not God is involved in any of this stuff because it's contradicting the clear teaching of the Word of God. And I want you to hear this one more time, this claim of his. And let me say this clearly. I do not believe you need to make the same changes Flamingo Road has made. Did, did you hear that? The changes that your church needs to make will not be the same changes Flamingo Road has made. Yet he's telling you that you have to get, you know, you need to join in to one of these four things and they're all the same thing. Now, I'm going to uh, play one more soundbite for you that I think just shows the complete lie that he just told. We're not going to tell you, uh, you know, the things you need to do in your church because it might be different for your church. And I want you to hear this soundbite and see if this doesn't completely contradict what he said. I think the most controversial part of transition is defining your vision. And this is the hardest part. Can I be that honest? Once you've defined vision, figuring out how to do it is not too bad. But defining it is just tough. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that's another life verse for me. I'm really big on life verses. Having a handful of verses, a dozen, maybe two dozen verses that you just try to live out in your life that just represent who you are. And this is one of those verses for me. Would you read this verse out loud with me? It says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now, Henry Blackaby has taught me more about this idea than anyone else. How many of you have done Blackaby's study experiencing God? Killer stuff. Killer, killer stuff. You ought to do it every three or four years just to just to be reminded. Tell me the principle behind Blackaby's study. Those of you that have done it. What is it? Yeah, see what God's doing in the world and joining. Okay, now notice this isn't a later segment in the conference. This is actually segment number three in the conference. And he's talking about defining vision. And now he's talking about Blackaby and saying, find what God is doing in the world and join him. Find what God is doing in the world and join him. And what are the four things that God's doing in the world? Sell church, contemporary music, seeker-driven, purpose-driven. Find what God's doing in the world and join him. Now listen carefully. And join him. Now here's what we do in our churches. We say, hey God, I've got a great plan for my church. Will you come down here and bless my plan? No. God has never done that. God will never do that. God stands instead way over here and says, well, I'm already blessing these things. Why don't you join me 
in what I'm already blessing. Oh, Lord, you don't understand. My plan's original. My plan's unique. My plan's mine. Won't you come bless my plan? Here's a key, key truth. It took me 20 years to grab this. God never joins us. Never. He invites us to join him. And that's why that first thing we talked about today of four major movements God's doing in the world. If, if he's already doing four things, why wouldn't we join him in what he's already doing? So in other words, you don't have to do any, you don't have to do the same things we did. You can do anything. You, you can make different changes as long as you do one of these four, just, you know, basically become seeker driven, purpose driven, uh, adopt contemporary music and sell church. God will only bless you if you do those things because that's what he's already doing. You see the manipulation here? The spiritual, pietistic-sounding manipulation. You leave this, you are basically told that God will not bless your church, and church uh, blessing equals growth. God will not bless your church, and you will not experience growth unless you join the seeker-driven movement Adopt contemporary music, go seeker-driven and purpose-driven. Anything else? No way. God will say, no way. You're not paying attention. I'm blessing those things. Come join me in that. Does anyone have a problem with this? I know I do. Not because about of personal preference, but because God's word completely contradicts this. And these claims and these assertions regarding what that you have to join God in what he's blessing, they're not found in the Bible. They are nothing but unsubstantiated assertions on the part of what God is, you know, on, on what God is doing and what he expects of you, but they're not found in the scriptures. In fact, the scriptures that God has given us contradict many of the things that we're hearing here. Many of them, if not all. And that's just the tip of the iceberg on what I'm going to be doing here as I deconstruct Church Transitions, Inc.'s hijacking of churches. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard thus far, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there, Pirate Christian. Right back. When we come back, sermon review. Good one from Stephen Furtick. I kid you not, it's a good one. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Oh, 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheap O Air. Yeah, I, I know the name doesn't sound real, but let me assure you it is. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world and also has a lowest airfare guarantee for the winter. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that is good through January 25th that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. We're well into hour number two of Fighting for the Faith here. Sermon review time. And I am excited about this particular sermon. And I know you're thinking, how is that possible? Real simple. So many people think this is all about Chris Rosebro attacking those that that don't subscribe to his preferences. Oh, nothing could be possibly further from the truth time for sermon review music yes I'm playing the ukulele version the good the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith and we have a good sermon by Pastor Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. He's a close friend and associate of Perry Noble. A guy that I have critiqued heavily on this program because I think he needed biblical critique. However, this sermon has much that all in the body of Christ can say amen to. And so I'm holding this up as what I consider to be a very fantastic move in the right direction. Now, this does not mean that I agree with everything that Pastor Furtick is going to say. In fact, there will be some things where I'm going to say I don't agree with that. Let me offer a counterpoint. That being the case... Listen with discernment. Don't believe everything he says. But listen carefully. For the points that he's making, you will hear the gospel in here. And the nice thing is you're going to hear it with passion, and you're going to hear it from a memorized passage of Scripture. Good stuff. Again, the name of the sermon series is New Through 30. That's the series. This particular one is entitled, It Is Written. Pastor Stephen Furtick, Elevation Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. Here we go.
welcome everyone, not only at our Elevation Church campuses, but online and all over the world. Welcome to New Through 30. It's more than a series, it's an experience, and really you could say it is an elite spiritual fitness program. Um, it's designed to burn away flab, and um, it's designed to get you in the top spiritual condition of your life, and we're so excited that you've chosen to join us today. We want to say welcome to all of the other churches and Sunday school classes and small groups and student ministries that are joining in this process with us. We're praying that God would elevate the priority of His Word in your heart and your mind and your soul and change every area of your life. Okay, now listen, one of the things you're going to hear in this sermon, two things in particular that I want you to pay close attention to. He he emphasizes the gospel of life change, which we we take issue with because... It kind of misses uh, the the whole gospel piece of it, but you will hear the gospel. The other part of it is you're going to hear him use a metaphor talking about get, becoming spiritually, physically fit. Now, I I I have to give him kudos and props for his commitment, his passion, and for his his absolute all out aggressive. Uh, desire and you know to do what it takes to get people into God's word. That cannot be a bad thing ever. Why? The reason why is because God's word is God's word, and God uses His words, His word, to to preach us to preach forgiveness, to preach sanctification, to to basically tra- it does transform us absolutely. So what we're talking about here is, you know, the idea, though, of spiritually, physically fit, it, it's an okay metaphor. I think a stronger one, though, okay, and I'll point this out, the fact that he's having to pump people up to buy, basically sell them on this idea says something about where his preaching has been in the past. Now, I will tell you this. Furtick's preaching has progressively gotten better and better. He's, I like the trajectory he's on. Okay, There's still things I take issue with, but for the most part, he handles God's word better. And um, he's, he's doing more expository type preaching. He still talks about himself a little bit more than I like. But, but that being the case, what's interesting here is really hearing a complete 180 of where he was just a few years ago. And I'm going to, I'm going to play that, I'm going to play that for you shortly to remind you of where he's been. But I want to play it at the right point because it, the, the contrast is night and day. Night and day. So here, here we go. As a result, uh, this week, we are reading together the book of Matthew and the book of Acts. And uh, I want to, lay down a foundation from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, that I think will be so helpful as we establish today the priority of the promises of God. At all of our locations, I want to ask that you would stand to your feet in honor of the priority of God's Word and in honor of the power of God's Word. God's Word is so incredibly powerful. God's Word is able to change everything about you. God's Word is able to open your eyes to new realities and stretch your imagination and remove limitations from your life that you didn't even know were holding you back. And we're praying that that would happen. Now, notice the way he's he's couching it. This is still kind of in a seeker-driven mode, okay? It'll open your eyes to re- realities in your life you didn't even realize. For instance, your sin and your need for a Savior, okay? 
your sin and your need for forgiveness, your sin and the only solution being the cross. So what you're going to hear here is a little bit of a mixed bag. Okay, but stick through it. Stick through it. There's so much good in here that it it falls into the good category in your life today. I'm going to read this whole block of scripture and um, then I'll do my best to preach it verse by verse. And my prayer today is that God would create a deep hunger in your heart for the word and that when he when he would finish speaking to you through me today that he would bring you to a place of commitment that this year is going to be the year that you prioritize the promises of God in your life let's read this together Matthew chapter okay you'll notice that the, the, the language makes you kind of go all right just work with it here we go chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 follow along Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, everybody say that's a long time. A long time time when you're not eating anything. 40 days and 40 nights with no food. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, yep. That's what happens when you don't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. You get hungry. And I think that in this generation, we need to remember that sometimes God calls us to do difficult things in order to know Him. We don't earn our salvation. It's the gift of God. It's free. But in order to apprehend everything that God has in store for you, it's going to require intense spiritual development on your part. And that's... What we all get to. Okay, now th- this is a weakness in here, and I'm going to point it out. Okay, notice that he's putting sanctification purely on us. Okay, now this is a this is a problem in his doctrine of sanctification. Okay, it's going to take all this on your part. No, actually, it, though, even our sanctification is the working of the Holy Spirit. It really, truly is. But it's through the it's through His Word. It's through His means that He really does the sanctifying work. Okay, so you're good. that's a weakness here. Keep listening. Embark on together here today. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. It is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. That's what we're here to do today. Chase the devil out of your life and out of your house and out of your business and out of your body. And angels came and attended him. Father, in Jesus' name, illuminate your word 
until all that we see is the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray today. And everybody said together, Amen. You may be seated. Begin our sermon with a little bit of confession. How many of you own a piece of home exercise equipment that you have not used very recently, or if you have used it recently, you are not using it for the intended purpose? And what I mean by that is potentially you have a um, stair climber that has become a bookshelf or a treadmill that has become a coat rack. How many of you at all of our locations own a piece of home gym equipment, and it can happen to everyone, um, a gym membership that is not used <laughs> to the full extent that it was intended to be used, which is to say that it's meant to be more than another key fob on your key ring, but it happens to the best of us, and this new through 30 experience was really born out of my heart to help make sure that as you approach this new year, you, you have a, a spiritual fitness program to apply yourself to because I know that if you come to church or you're watching a sermon online, you have some sort of interest or at least a moderate desire to know the things of God, to be more like Jesus, to live a life that pleases Him. And so a few months ago, I developed a program for our staff, and we read through the entire Bible in 90 days. That was hardcore. You can really get bog, bogged down in Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, um, and I wanted to provide that same type of opportunity for everyone in the church, whether you're showing up for the first time, whether you're a gold star, perfect attendance, Sunday school student, or very new to the Christian faith, or not even sure about your faith yet. Uh, I wanted to provide an opportunity for everyone to, to begin to engage spiritual muscles in order to know the Lord and to glorify Him and to become more aware of His ways so that you can walk in His will and experience His glory and His grace and His favor in your life. And all of that comes... Okay, just a little quick summary here. I want to point something out here. He had his staff and him basically read the Bible in 90 days. I'm, I'm telling you, that is way commendable. Okay? Now, it hasn't shaken all the, all the wrinkles out of his theology yet. It's obvious he's still struggling with trying to figure out how to properly get law and gospel connected. Okay? And what's, what's interesting here is that his theology at this point, in my mind, seems like certain things have been unbuckled that he, that, that he wasn't, he's not aware of and he doesn't know what to do with that, and it hasn't reconnected correctly. So there, again, this is a mixed bag, but keep listening. And so he, he's doing the best he can here, and he's basically saying, this is important. You need to be reading your Bible, and so what I've come up with is we're going to read the entire New Testament together as a church for 30 days. Now, the metaphor is physical fitness. Okay, let me offer a, a better metaphor. Food. Because even in the text that he read from Christ's temptation, the devil tempts Jesus and says, turn these rocks 
these stones into bread. And Jesus rebukes the devil by saying, and it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is why there's a weakness, one of the, a major weakness in how these seeker-driven guys approach God's word. Because when these guys are preaching and teaching, they're not doing deep expository, this is what God's word says, this is what it means type of preaching. It's not happening in seeker-driven churches. Something's going on in Noble's life, by the way. Something is going on. The thing is, is that the metaphor here is still wrong because God's word is food. It's food. It's not a workout. It's food. If you're not feeding on it, you're starving and dying. It's not that work that reading God's word makes you spiritually healthy and fit. It gives you life itself. So that's the weakness here in the sermon. That being said, this is still a huge step in the right direction. Let's continue listening. As we study God's word. But again, you need to know up front that this is not a, a spiritual fitness program for, for pansies and posers and punks. Um, this is uh, a, a very challenging assignment that I'm laying out before you. And... When you leave today, or if you're watching online, you can actually download all of this. Um, we're going to provide you with a reading plan. And this reading plan features a block of scripture that you're going to read every day for the next 30 days. And you even get weekends off. How nice am I? And I look at myself in, in some ways as, as a sort of a, um, remember Richard Simmons? Um, sort of a, a, a spiritual Richard Simmons. Or Oh, not a good... <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I <laughs> Richard Simmons. Oh, that guy drove me crazy. Come on, ladies, move your tushies. Oh, that, that guy. I don't think that guy's feet ever touched the ground. <sighs> or um, maybe I should be a little bit more modern and, and contemporary than that. Um, I have this DVD set called uh, P90X, and uh, it's a 90-day um, extreme fitness program. And uh, I look at myself kind of like Tony Horton uh, on P90X, where I'm like, I'm all up in your face like the guy on the late night infomercial, and I want to get you ripped, okay? I, I got I to gotta comment on this. I'm watching this on the video, okay? There's something even different about his demeanor. I, I know you can't hear it in his voice, but I can see it in his posture. There is a real sense of humbleness to him as he's delivering this. I am not making this up. If you could see what I'm seeing, you would see it. This is not the I'm angry in your face kind of Perry Noble kind of thing. No, this is this is I'm generally concerned about you. And I really think this is a good thing for you. We really need to be in God's word. I really am convinced of it. This is this is born not of anger, but some kind of a really deep passion inside of him. And you can see it in his posture. I'm not making this up. Something's going on in this kid's life, and I'm excited about it. I want to I get you knowing God's Word in a way that you thought up until this point only paid religious professionals knew God's Word. And it's going to happen as you immerse yourself in God's Word. Why the 30-day time period? Um, it, it would seem to many of you that when you sprint through the New Testament, you might miss a lot. Isn't it better to read it slower and to meditate on it and to take time to answer all your questions? Yes, 
That, that is the most helpful habit to integrate into your life for the long term. But when you're trying to start a new habit, it's often helpful to immerse yourself in it all the way for a short period of time until you've developed um, a, a, a new sensitivity. You see what he wants them to do? This isn't just about the 30 days. He's, his real hope and goal in all of this is that this will kickstart a lifetime habit of meditating and reading on reading God's word props man major props I can say amen to that and and a new place of priority for that habit in your life like I don't know how many of you have ever been on a low-carb diet but when you go on the Atkins diet um, there's a couple things guaranteed that when you go on the Atkins diet number one um, you would kill your grandmother in cold blood for a piece of bread when you're on the Atkins diet Um, and I like the Atkins diet, you know, um, because I like bacon. And so I think any diet that um, puts bacon in the allowable category, um, that's got to be from God. And so anytime I find myself like vacillating by a couple of pounds, um, I go straight to Atkins for a few weeks and, uh, and hit the P90X DVDs a little harder. But, but one of the things about that particular diet is for the first couple of weeks, there's a strict level of, of training for your body where, where you can eat almost zero carbs. Now, you're not going to live that way for the rest of your life. You're not going to go the rest of your life without ever eating rice again. But in order to dial it in and, and in order to get your, get your body and, and, the, and, the, and the physical composition of your insides kind of used to this new way of living and this new way of eating, you can think of it... Uh, kind of like a jump start, an induction phase, and then you progress into what's supposed to be more of a lifestyle change. Well, you're not going to read 12 and 13 and 14 chapters of Scripture like you're about to for the next 30 days for the rest of your life. But hopefully what will happen through this induction phase is that you'll go through a, a period that will jump start your desire for the Word of God. And it's going to be difficult, but... Maybe not as difficult as you think. Maybe not as difficult as you think. See, um, I did some research. It takes um, the average person about, you know, 30 minutes a day to read through the New Testament in a month. About 30 minutes a day. Now, let me read you these steps. The average American watches over four hours of TV per day which over the course of a month would total over 120 hours. That's seven and a half times the amount of time that it would take to read the New Testament through in one month, like we're about to. So if you take just 30 minutes out of your day to read God's Word over the next month, you'll still get to watch 104 hours of TV. It's not as bad as you think it is, okay? It's challenging, especially if you're out of spiritual shape, especially if you've never done it before. If I ask you right now, and I won't because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, how many of you have ever read through the, the, the whole Bible? Or for that matter, how many of you have ever been on a systematic Bible reading plan? Uh, very few hands would go up. Uh, very few people would say... Uh, okay, I'm going to point this out. If he was consistently teaching God's Word in depth and, and promoting this, he wouldn't at this point in time have to have people jump started. He would have set the example from the pulpit and been, you know, talking about this all along. 
he hasn't. And so this is, you know, why this is part of what's going on here. That being said, I welcome him to this to this very important task and I pray and I pray that you will pray for success and that people through God's word would see and understand sound biblical doctrine and that they would see Christ and him crucified from every page of the New Testament for them. We should encourage and applaud what they're doing. This is a significant change for Elevation, and it's a good one. Um, yeah, I've been reading the Bible every day for the next 17 for the last 17 years, and I don't really need this program. Most of us need a little help, and can I be honest with you? Part of the reason I'm doing this is because I need it. I know the preacher isn't supposed to say that, but it's difficult for me sometimes to prioritize the Word of God in my life. Look at that. Even a confession on his part. I'm telling you, there's, this, there's some hum, real humility here. Loving this. Loving it. Confession of his own sin and shortcoming here. Loving this. Because I know you're thinking that. You're like, yeah, man, it's easy for you, preacher. You know, a little purple watch and purple shirt. You're looking like Barney the Dinosaur telling me I need to, I need to read my Bible. And you get paid to read your Bible. And I got a real job and I can't sit around and read the Bible all day long. But see, I have a different challenge than you have. Because if you've ever worked in like a restaurant... You usually have a hard time wanting to eat the food that you've been cooking for others all day. And so for me, sometimes it's hard to read the Bible for the right reasons that God might transform my heart rather than for my professional reasons, which is to have a sermon to preach to you. And so this is for me just as much as it's for you. I want to dig into God's word. I want some I want some Christian cardio. I want some some spiritual um, resistance training so that I can be all God wants me to be. And and this spiritual training program is not for the weak of heart. It's hard hard work. But it's going Okay, I'm going to pause the sermon right here. And I want you I want you to hear the contrast. I, this is this is a complete 180 on his part. Now, he was just explaining how hard it's going to be and how he needs this, how he needs this, and how they need it too. And you can hear the sincere passion in his voice about this. This is Stephen Furtick from just a few years ago. This is from uh, the summer of 2007. And I want you to hear the difference when you showed up to church this morning, did you show up with a bless me, feed me, make me fatter preacher? I don't intend to do a thing you say, but I'm going to listen to you. And if you dadgum say one thing I don't like, I promise I'll cross my arms and cross my eyes at you the rest of the sermon. Did you show up to file a little bit more religious information in your already overloaded hard drive so that you could do absolutely nothing about it? The church is full of pot-bellied Christians waiting to shove their spiritual food down their mouth one more time, but they don't intend to do anything to bless anybody. You are a Pharisee. You sit on the front row. You might even take notes, but you take notes so you can argue with them with your roommate after church and how I don't really believe in all that. Yeah, but if we ever start turning in this front row Pharisee crowd, I don't think the teaching's deep enough. I would like a little more hermeneutical explanation on the original languages in the Aramaic and the Hebrew. Jesus says, shut up. <laughs> 
Help somebody. Bless somebody. Heal somebody. This is 180 degrees different. I mean, that was this was that was summer of 2007. Two and a half years ago. And here he's making an impassioned plea for them to dig deep into God's word. And he's telling them it's going to be hard. And he's telling them they need this. And he's saying he needs it. This is exactly why for the entire time I've been doing this program and before when I was just blogging, my appeal to these pastors is to feed these people God's word and to preach God's word in depth because they are coming to church empty and starving And church is the one place where they should be hearing the word of God and being taught the word of God and being fed the word of God because they need it, just like Stephen Furtick needs it. Man, there's so much good here in this sermon. I, I feel like I'm looking at a different person. Let's continue. It's going to be very, very worthwhile. Look, there's no easy way to know God and to seek the Lord. There's no shortcut. There's no lipo. There's no gastric bypass for scriptural knowledge. You just need to make a commitment today. I want to know God. And I know God through his word because he's chosen to reveal himself through the written pages of the scripture, which have been preserved throughout the centuries, that I might understand his nature and walk in his ways. (laughs) Ah. And when you make that quality decision, God's word is going to begin to shape your life. I want to make one more distinction before I share a few things about this particular passage that we read together. And I thought of this when I was watching a a bodybuilder competition. Um, This whole message today has kind of like a fitness analogy theme going through it. But I was watching these bodybuilders, and they profiled one of them. And um, I was just huge, like a freak, like a like a total beast, like just disgusting veins bulging out of his eyeballs. And it was, it was, it was really impressive though, to think of how a human being can morph into that. And so I was listening to him talk about this guy's training regimen, how he consumes like 7,000 calories a day and, um, all that he puts his body through in order to look this way. And then I start thinking about what's the point in what he's doing? Well, It's not really for a purpose other than just to pose. Like there's no purpose other than to stand there and to have other men look at him and tell him how muscular he looks. And I thought, (laughs) you know, more power to you if you want to do that. But I don't want to be a poser. Oh, this is even a brilliant point. This is even a brilliant point because... We've all experienced that person who has this, just say, encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, and yet it seems like the only reason that they have that is so that people will say, wow, that person really knows their Bible. But they're not serving other people with the scriptures in that knowledge. It's a collection of knowledge just to collect it. It's uh, biblical information becomes a trophy on the wall. I think, I think this is even a great metaphor that he's brought up here. Like when we're studying God's word, we've got to keep in mind the purpose 
of the priority of God's promises, right? This isn't for show. We don't know God's word so we can show off how much we know. There was a group of people in the Bible who, who wanted to know God's word so they could show off their scriptural knowledge and their acumen concerning the, the things of God and so that they could impose rules on others and impress God with their good lifestyle. That's not what this is all about. This isn't for us to show off. This is for us to know God. We're training so that we can have spiritual strength and vitality so that we can drive back the enemy in every area of our lives so that we can begin to protect our, our children by praying the scriptures which are a part of us and integrated into the very fiber of our lives. This isn't just for a pose down. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely. Oh, this is good. Man, man, man. It just absolutely makes my heart so glad that I am hearing this sermon from Stephen Furtick. I cannot tell you how excited I am. So let me walk you through for the next few moments a few of the reasons that I want you to make it a priority to know God's Word. Number one, the Word of God is your only offensive weapon to win the fight for your life. I love this phrase, and if you're so inclined to mark in your Bible, you, you ought to take a pen and a highlighter as you read and just circle something that means something to you while you read it. And, and if you want to get started right here today, just circle that phrase that we read at least four times in Matthew chapter 4. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus wielded the weapon of the Word to fight back for his spiritual life in this time of temptation. And if you're going to win the fight, if you're going to put it... Okay, that's not exactly correct, but let's work with it. And to practice what I talked to you about last week, to, to literally sabotage the attempts of the enemy to suck you into adversity and to make you lose perspective of, of what God has done for you and what he wants to do through you, you're, you're going to have to have an offensive strategy. And that strategy is to know God's word to the extent that every time the devil opens his mouth, you open God's word and fight back. Right on. Exactly. Exactly. That's one of the reasons why we do what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. Because that's what we're doing. It's warfare. Because the devil has many lies that he's speaking and we have to answer him from the scriptures with it is Written, God's word says this. Elegantly made point, too. And the word is your weapon to win the war. This isn't so you can just have inspirational thoughts to help you sleep better at night. This isn't just so you can um, um, feel better about yourself throughout the day and, 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 and somehow earn a little bit more merit with the big man upstairs. This is how you're going to ingrain in your mentality what God is like so that what God is like can start to flow out of your life. This <laughs> oh, man. 
Notice he's not going after the people who want to know God's word deeper. He's going after, <laughs> this is, oh man, this is good. I, I, oh, this is how, this is how you're going to take your stand against the enemy's schemes and, and begin to rise up and be all that God made you to be. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul, the apostle lists all of the, the, the different pieces of our artillery that are in our arsenal as we fight this fight of faith. And it is a fight of faith. Okay. It's not a parade. It's a bloody war. <laughs> Notice a little plug for my radio program there. Fight of faith. No. <clears throat> Sorry. That was gratuitous. It is combat. It's a fight for your life. And the apostle Paul talks about the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation, and, and the shoes, your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But then he calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. And the only offensive weapon that Paul lists in the artillery that is available to a believer in Jesus is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everything else is defensive. But when you start knowing God's word and you can quote God's word and apply God's word and live by God's word and understand God's word and internalize God's word, then you become dangerous to the enemy. You don't have to run away and hide from the trials of your life. Three times the devil tried to subvert the purposes of God in the life of Jesus. And every time Jesus came back, it is written. We learned how to fight back with the facts. Of the word of God. Number two. I don't know if this is number two. It's probably like number three or four or five. But <laughs> the purpose of the word. And, 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 and please understand this. It's a lot of P's. But maybe I'll help you remember it. The purpose of the word is to program your paradigm. With the promises of God. To program your paradigm. With the promises of God. My dad coached my baseball teams when I was in Little League. Listen to this illustration. It is brilliant. I d it is so good. <laughs> my dad never played baseball growing up, which was an interesting dynamic because he loved me so much he wanted to be my coach, but he didn't know enough to um, coach me without a significant investment into learning the game. And uh, my dad, I remember this very vividly, used to sit down in his recliner after he got off work. And a lot of times my dad was working two or three jobs um, to support our family. But after he'd get home, this is during the preseason and the offseason. Usually during the season he was so busy out on the baseball field. Um, but I, I remember during the offseason and the preseason, he'd sit there and with the little rule book, the little Little League rule book, the pocket rule book that nobody ever looks at, and he would study it. I mean, like a focused, um, prioritized part of his day was to spend hours studying the Little League Baseball rule book. And uh, one year that he coached me, um, our team was the worst team in the league. Uh, I played on the Pirates. Uh, we were so bad that I had to be the pitcher on the team. And, um, and I'm not a good pitcher. I don't have the control or the arm or something, but I was the best chance we had. And people used to accuse um, my dad of playing me on the 
pitcher's mound because I was his son. And my dad would say, no, the, the rest of the team is just that bad that he, he really is our best chance. I know he's horrible, but he's the least horrible that, that we've got. Um, one time, I was such a wild pitcher that I, um, you know the backstop that's back behind home plate? I threw the ball over the backstop. And what made it really terrible is there's this girl that I was in love with at the time um, named Jenny. And she was up in the score box right over the backstop keeping score that night. And I was so excited. I wanted to show off for Jenny. And uh, I wanted it to be my best game ever. And I threw the ball over the backstop. And I could see her up in the, in the um, score box laughing. And it traumatized me. But um, <laughs> one, one Tuesday night, um, my team played the, uh, the, the Dodgers. The Dodgers were the best team in, in the league. Um, and it, it was these guys that were just phenomenal who all went on to play high school baseball. A lot of them went on to play college baseball. And, um, and we just knew we were going to get killed. But for the first four innings or so, we kept the game really, really close. And um, I was pitching, and um, I was pitching a shutout. Now, we weren't scoring any runs, but they weren't either. So come, like, the fourth inning, it was zero to zero. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, one by one, these guys just started hitting home runs on me. And uh, I just couldn't stop them. Well, all of a sudden, after about the third or fourth home run, I'm about to throw a temper tantrum because I'm a big baby when I start losing. And uh, I'm I'm flipping out, and I'm embarrassed, and I can't stop these guys from just um, hitting the ball, slamming it right over the the, the center field fence. Um, My dad comes running out of the dugout. I thought he was going to take me out of the game and put the other pitcher who sucked worse than me on the mound, uh, at least change it up a little bit. But um, instead of running up to me, he ran up to the umpire, and they start talking. I didn't know what they were talking about. So my dad um, walks over to the, the baseball bat that the guy who had just hit the third or fourth home run had tossed kind of behind the plate. And my dad picks it up, and they start looking at the baseball bat, and they're having this intricate, um, lively discussion about the baseball bat. So um, about five or ten minutes go by, and finally my dad calls our whole team to the dugout, and, and he says, Boys... We got a problem. These Dodgers think they're better than us to the point that they can use an illegal bat in the baseball game. See, the, the, the rule book, he pulls this little rule book out of his pocket, <laughs> says the bat can only be this big. And he knew the exact dimensions that the bat could be. And the umpire over here was trying to tell me there's nothing wrong with that bat. But I know good and well that that bat was too big. And he, he started arguing with me, boys. But he can't argue with the book. <laughs> so you know what they did? They had to stop that baseball game. They took back all of those home runs. And they had to reschedule the game for two weeks later so that we could get beat by the Dodgers fairly <laughs> instead of getting cheated out of the game. And they destroyed us. But at least we had a chance. Because my dad knew the book. You got to know the book. That way when the enemy comes against you with a trial and he starts opening his mouth and telling you what you're not and telling you what you can't do and telling you who you can't be and telling you what you can't have, you can show him in the book where God says you are. Okay, now I'm going to point something out. The illustration is brilliant. The application is a little skewed. Okay? The devil telling you what you can't have. The devil telling you what you're not. He's still hanging on to some of this Jesus, basically almost Joel Osteen-esque type of thing. 
But here's the deal. God's word is going to shave that out of him. If he continues on this path of digging deeply into what God's word is saying, it's going, oh man, I'm telling you, he's wrestling with the lion of Judah right now. And it really looks like the lion's winning. And that's a good thing. It's in the book. It's in the book. You got to know the book. Great point, Pastor Furtick. And God says you can, and God says you will. You got to know the book. Turn to the person next to you at all of our locations. Tell them you got to know the book. You got to know the book. Look, 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 look. When you have a problem in your life and it seems like no good has come from it, no good can come from it, and no good ever will come from it. Listen, listen to this little litany that, he comes, that comes through here. This is actually really good too. You got to know the book so you can open the book to Romans 8.28. And tell the enemy that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When you start feeling like there's no way that God can love you after all that you've done and you feel a heavy weight of guilt and you can't get rid of it and move on into your tomorrow because of your yesterdays, you got to know the book. Listen, you're going to hear the gospel right here. So that you can begin to speak with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law, the spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. You've got to know the book. Right on. You've got to know what is written. Ladies, when you start feeling insecure about your physical appearance, you got to know the book. And you got to show the devil Psalm 139 that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you feel powerless over your circumstances, you got to know the book so that you can say with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.20, the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave lives in me. The very same power that got him up from an empty tomb lives in me. Me, students, when you're tempted to do the wrong thing, to go the wrong way with the wrong people, you got to know the book so that you can speak in accordance with 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 13, and say, There is no temptation that has overtaken me except such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able. But with the temptation, He'll provide a way of escape. You got to know the book. You cannot fault him for driving people into God's word. This is the right thing to be hearing from a pulpit. And I'm going to give him this credit too. He has actually got something that looks like a stainless steel pulpit that he is preaching from right there, right now. course the backdrop looks like it's from the enchantment under the sea dance that's just a taste thing something's happening with this guy something's happening and i like it i hope and pray that we hear and see more of this he's wrestling with god's word 
and encouraging people to get into the book and know the book. They're going to when they get into the book, they're going to hear far more than just the little verses that he's quoting off right now. They're going to go deeper and deeper and this is exactly what a pastor needs to be doing is encouraging God's sheep to go deeper into God's word and to know the book, to teach the book, to hear the book. Because when they do go into the book and they know the book, they will know of their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue. You've got to know what God has said so that you can be who God has made you to be. You've got to know these scriptures and love these scriptures and reprogram your paradigm with the promises of God because His promises are true and His promises are sure and His words, they are spirit and they are life. Know the book. And this is exactly why, Pastor Furtick, I have faulted you and your friends for beating God's sheep for wanting to go deep into God's word. That means, Pastor Furtick, that every single Sunday you are given a sacred trust and a duty to dispense the duties of your office as a pastor and to drive them into the book, to open the book and teach the book. You have no more important thing that you can be doing than teaching the book. Also, it's important that we know the whole Word of God. And that's why we're reading through the New Testament as a whole. (laughs) Not hunting and pecking, not taking passages out of context. He wants them to take the whole thing, and he wants them to know the whole counsel of the Word of God. Right on. Over the next 30 days. Because some of you have just been salad bar scripture readers until now. I like this part about grace. I like this part about heaven. I don't like that thing about judgment and hell. I like the part about blessing. Don't like the part about giving. Like the part about glory. Don't like the part about humility. But we've got to know the whole counsel of God's word. If we don't, we will constantly misunderstand the meaning of the word, and we will build our life on the wrong spiritual foundation, right? Right. In an exercise program, one of the worst things you can do is lift weights with bad form. You can hurt yourself worse. And actually, your, your exercise regimen can become a detriment to you if you don't do it the right way. Now, over the next 30 days... You're not going to be able to study God's word in depth and you will have to plow through some passages and know that you don't understand them right now, but you read them and you might understand them one day. You get to the book of Revelation, you will not understand any of it. And the more you think you understand it, the more I know you don't. There will be parts of this that won't make sense to you. There will be parts of, you, parts of this that seem outdated. Then there will be other parts that just come alive and change your life. And I would challenge you to just read quickly just to, just to get a sense of what God's Word is all about, okay? Um, as you do that, what's going to be so helpful, I believe, is that you're going to start to see dimensions of the divine nature of, of Jesus that will enlighten you to what He's really like and who He really is. So if we only know God as a God of joy, 
but we never see Jesus as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. When we have a sense of spiritual sorrow, we'll wonder where God is unless we know what God is like by knowing the whole counsel of the Word of God. And this is going to help set you in that direction or else you'll misunderstand the meaning. I wonder how many times we've misunderstood the meaning of God's Word because something got lost in interpretation. My wife... Notice, he's not just saying get dig deep into God's Word. He's actually... It, encouraging digging deep in God's word in such a way that you will understand what it really is supposed to mean. This is an appeal without saying it for sound doctrine and correctly handling God's word. Wow. Life watches all these shows on TLC. I would never watch them on my own. <clears throat> But I am familiar with several of them and must admit that some of them are not that bad. Um, I kind of like the what not to wear thing. I think that's kind of cool. I don't care what you think about me. Um, and put it out there. I kind of like that one. Um, the one I can't get into, though, um, she watches these cake shows. Any of you seen these, these cake shows? But we were uh, on an airplane the other day and she was reading... I think People Magazine, and um, they had some some photographs of some cakes where what the person said they wanted written on the cake, and what actually got written on the cake um, somehow got lost in translation. In other words, somebody misunderstood the meaning. So I'm going to show you a few of these. Now this is uh, I'll read them to you, but this is all to illustrate when somebody misunderstands a passage and doesn't and doesn't correctly get what it's what it says. This is an argument against uh, false doctrine in, in a very real way. Listen, uh, uh, just for a moment, just for fun, just to illustrate how we can miss the point sometimes of what was said and what was meant. Okay, so here, here's the first one. This one, uh, in case you can't see it, says, "Best wishes, Suzanne. Underneath that, we will miss you." So he's showing a picture of a birthday cake and, you know, best wishes, Suzanne, underneath that, we, uh, we will miss you. It, that's written on the cake. Now, apparently what the, the person had in mind was best wishes, Su Suzanne, and then underneath that, we'll miss you. But you can misunderstand the meaning. Here's another one. This one says, congratulations, as small as possible. <laughs> See? Apparently, there was a young man named Chris who got a promotion, but he, he didn't know how big his promotion was because there was a little misunderstanding. It says, good luck, Christ. <laughs> and finally, this is my favorite. I'll let it speak for itself. It says nothing. These are real cakes. It says nothing. <laughs> real stuff. My my point is, it's it's easy to misunderstand the meaning 
And a lot of you have had trouble with God and your spirituality and your faith up to this point in your life because you, you don't truly understand what is written, the intention of what is written. Which, by the way, pastor, is why they need a pastor. They need somebody who's studied the languages, been to school, knows systematic theology, and is committed to opening up God's Word and helping them understand what it means. This is why preaching from the text so that people know the book is so vital and so important. And, and I'm praying that over these next 30 days as you do this, and I want all of you to do this, even if you can't do the whole thing, or even if you kind of miss a day here or there and pick up where you left off, I want you at some level to begin to engage with the entire Word of God. And, and I believe that as you do this, you're not only going to learn what God's Word says, but God through the Holy Spirit is going to show you what it means and what it means for you. As you read, you're going to see what it meant to the original audience, what it means for every audience, and what it means for you in your specific situation as you live. Now, this is, uh, this, I, I got a caution against this type of hermeneutic, okay? The reason why is because not every passage of Scripture has some kind of application to me in my life right now. It's important to know what the passage means. And so we got to be careful against a subjective hermeneutic, okay? So this would be one of those points where I would caution people, you know, and maybe even if not that this is going to happen, but I mean, would love to have a dialogue with Furtick further to know exactly what he means at this point. Because one of the common ways of misunderstanding God's word is that God's, you know, that a passage has a direct application to me right now in, in, in my life, whatever. It, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. We continue every day of your life. So the Word of God is going to become flesh to you. It's going to come alive and God's going to use specific sentences and specific scenarios and specific promises and specific warnings and it's going to be like He's talking just to you. You're going to comprehend the meaning of God's Word. But you've got to know God's Word and know all of God's Word if God's Word is going to mean anything to you when it really counts. And um, close with this. I want you to know that nothing can stop the spread of the Word of God. Paul said one time, writing from a prison cell, I am in chains for the Lord, but the Word of God is not bound. And even from this prison cell, God's Word is ringing out all over the world. This week, you're also going to read... The entire book of Acts, it's an exciting book, an action book of the Bible. It's definitely a dude book of the Bible. <laughs> and you're going to see this phrase again and again, and the word of God spread, and the word of God spread, and the word of God spread. And, and one time you'll see um, the author, the physician Luke says, the word of God spread rapidly. <sighs> it's getting out there, and it's getting out there fast, like a bullet. It, it is a turbocharged transfer of the Word of God throughout the terrain of the entire earth. And um, the Word of God began to spread in Acts chapter 2. And actually, it was a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and started preaching. And he preached so good, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And the word of God spread right there in Jerusalem. But the word of God didn't stop in Jerusalem. The word- I want to point something out here. 3,000 people trusted in Christ and were baptized as a result of the preaching in Acts chapter 2. The preaching, the, pa- the sermon itself is the miracle. And if you look at the content of the sermon, it's not a seeker-driven, happy, feel-good sermon. I mean, in there, he accuses his listeners of being responsible and culpable for murdering Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit cut him to the quick, cut him to the heart. What shall we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We continue. The word of God spread to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 when the believers were persecuted and forced to leave Jerusalem in order that they may go to Samaria so that the word of God could spread to the Samaritans and many could believe on the name of Jesus. But the word of God didn't stop in Samaria. In Acts chapter 10, Peter led a Roman centurion and his family to faith in Jesus Christ so that the word of God spread to Turkey and Greece and then eventually to Rome itself. But the word of God didn't stop stop in Acts chapter 10 with the Roman centurion. The word of God has continued to spread for the last 2,000 years. The word of God has spread to Africa and Australia and Europe and North and South America and Asia and, and in our own city at our Matthews campus and our Providence campus and at our Uptown campus and all over the world through the internet and the word of God is not bound and the word of God cannot be stopped and the word of God is powerful and viral and the word of God is not outdated but as the word of God spreads to the ends of the earth I want it to spread to every part of you and I want the word of God to get deep down in the places over the next 30 days that nobody has touched in your life in a long time and I want the word of God to begin to awaken dormant dreams inside of you that have been sleeping on the couch for too long. Now this sounds a little Joel Osteen-esque. Gotta be careful here that's not the purpose of the word of god yeah one of the weaknesses of it and again if you don't believe me read the word of god like pastor furtick has instructed you and i want the word of god to spread to the sinful areas of your life that are keeping you captive from the life that god intends for you and set you free and i want the word of god to spread to your discouragement as you begin to triumph over the enemy and you begin to speak with jesus it is written and you prioritize the word of God so that you can program your paradigms with his promises. May the word of God spread in your life. The day we live in is just exciting. I put a little announcement out there on Twitter and on my blog that if any churches wanted to do this series with us, We'd make all the resources available for free. And, uh, oh, man, we've heard of churches, not just in our nation, but all over the world that are doing this with us. You're a part of something. World- and this is something I'm very, actually, I'm so happy about. And I'll tell you why. Furtick is a very charismatic guy, very talented. And, um, you know, there's, there's just a, there's a passion and an intensity to him. Uh, that is it, that a lot of guys just don't have. It's it's not a knock on the other guys. It's it's speaking to the gifts that, and the talent that God has given him. 
And uh, when Furtick does something, other people follow suit. Other people follow suit. And he wields that much influence in the seeker-driven crowd. And, you know, I, I was I was excited to see Tad Grandstab. This is the guy who uh, completely ripped off uh, the, Craig Rochelle's uh, <laughs> personal testimony and told it as if it was his own. But uh, Tad Grandstaff, who started his church, uh, I think Pine Ridge Church, uh, anyway, he started his church with a sermon series, I Hate Christians. Guess who's doing this? Tad Grandstaff is. And so, listen, it cannot be a bad thing when God uses Stephen Furtick to set an example that people around the world say, well, Furtick's going to do it, we're going to do it too, we want to jump on board, we want to do it. To which I basically say, amen and amen, and we will pray that the word of God will do mighty things in their life as they finally get to see it and read it in context with a passion for knowing the full counsel of the word of God and knowing what God's word says and what it actually is supposed to mean and not mishearing it and misapplying it and misunderstanding it. We cannot be critical when other churches are following suit. So I'm so excited to see Stephen Furtick God using his influence to motivate and encourage other pastors and churches to follow suit and to dig deep into God's word. Right on. Worldwide, the God is birthing in our church. And there's a, an excitement even outside of these walls, outside of our umbrella of ministry about the word of God. The word of God is spreading. I got um, this um, tweet today. This guy tweeted me. Is that how you say that? Sounds kind of sketchy. This guy, um, this guy sent me a message through Twitter um, from Madrid, Spain. He said, Pastor Stephen, did you know that Elevation Church has a Madrid, Spain campus? And he showed me a picture of people meeting in Madrid, Spain, watching a sermon from Elevation Church. The word of God is spreading, spreading. He said, people are getting saved through your ministry. Thank you for preaching the word. And we're going to do this new through 30 thing with you. The word of God is unstoppable. Um, one of the things I'm challenging you to do over the next 30 days is go deeper in the word of God through joining a small group. This is like going to the gym and hiring a personal trainer. Now, I'm not a big fan of small groups, especially if the people teaching are not qualified to do so. This is one of the weaknesses of the seeker driven movement, not one of its strengths. But we'll, less, we'll listen to him anyway. To make sure you show up, to make sure you get it done. And uh, these are short-term small groups because I know some of you cannot make long-term commitments. And that's part of the reason we wanted an intense, focused period of time. Because you can commit to do anything for 30 days. You can do anything for 30 days. And um, we're asking you just to commit four nights uh, of your month over this next month. To being in a small group. We actually had like a first round draft pick approach and got our Pro Bowl small group leaders and pulled them from the current groups they're leading. And, and we've set up several small groups, not just several, dozens and dozens of small groups that will meet all over the city at all of our locations over the next four weeks. And, and this is an opportunity for you to get connected in community because the Word of God was not meant to be experienced in isolation. It was meant to be experienced in community. Now, notice, I'm going to point something out here. This is one of the things about the seeker-driven movement is that these churches get so big, the only way you can, quote, experience community is by getting into a small group. 
Whereas if you have a, you know, if you go with the traditional model, you have a community with it, you know, of your, in your church that you're a part of. So, you know, the, and again, the problem is, is that when it comes to small groups, yeah, your re- results may seriously vary. They might become, you know, wildly swing back and forth, depending on whether or not you have a small group leader who understands the scripture and is qualified and capable of teaching the scriptures. We continue. And so you need people speaking God's word to you and holding you to the standard of God's word and speaking God's word into your heart and your life. So in just a moment, at all of our locations, you're going to have the opportunity before we give our offering today so that the word of God can continue to spread to uh, sign on the dotted line and say, for the next four weeks, I'll uh, I'll do the group thing because I want to prioritize the word of God this year. I want to know the book so that I can win the war. And whatever it takes, I'm actually Christ won the war, but that's okay. I'm devoting myself this year to being a student of the word of God so that I can be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together in all of our locations. All right. There was the good sermon from Stephen Furtick. In fact, I am so I'm so excited by this sermon. Even though there are some things in it that I disagree with and think that it could have been tighter and better. I'm so excited by it. I am going to join Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church in reading the Bible of the New Testament in 30 days. I am, in fact, I'm going to Twitter it out. I'm going to Facebook it out that I'm going to join with them in reading the New Testament in 30 days to show my support for this message and the, the points that he brought up here. Because I think this is a great step. This is a step in the right direction. I like this. I think it's biblical. And I love the fact that he is making such an impassioned plea and having such an impact throughout other seeker-driven churches regarding the importance of knowing the full counsel of the Word of God and not, not just reading it salad bar approach but knowing it well enough to know what it truly means and what it says, and and that's really a case for sound biblical doctrine. So whether they want me to join in or not, that doesn't matter. I'm going to show my support for what they're doing by joining with them, and over the next 30 days, I'm going to be reading the entire New Testament along with Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church. And I would challenge you to join them as well. Because we all need to know the book. That's what this program really is about. Because in the book is this amazing story of man's fall that includes all of us into sin and rebellion against God and of a God who was not standing by and just basically saying to hell with you all, but stepped into human into humanity, was incarnate in Jesus Christ, Come to earth, dying on the cross for all of our sins. When you read the book, you are confronted with that story over and over and over again. Well done, Pastor Furtick. Well done. Well, we're rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you that in order for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you, well, we need your financial support. And right now we have a very, it's a gift. 
if you would, from a, an anonymous contributor who's basically willing to uh, take your financial contribution if you join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew in the month of January and triple that. That will help ensure that we get to our goal of a 1,000 listeners who have joined the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. And um, and by doing that, it ensures our longevity and our ability to continue to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. The way you join is by visiting fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Join Our Crew button. It is a mere $6.95 a month. And uh, when you join, you also get access to our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, which is a growing treasure trove of theological, doctrinal uh, resources to help you go deeper in your understanding of God's Word, sound biblical theology, and Christ-centered apologetics. So again, it's mere $6.95 a month. And uh, of course, if you'd like to donate above and beyond, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six. Zero, three eight. So what'd you think? I would love to get your feedback. What'd you think of that sermon? What'd you think of today's program? What did you learn? What what did it cause you to think? Send me your email. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be uh We'll be here tomorrow. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen.